Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? So, you know, I, <laughs> I think uh, Tony let it out of the bag already, what I was going to say to start with. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of you remember last week, Pastor Rich was up here saying, we're never going to have another Sunday like this one. And before the last song, he said, this is the last song we're going to sing together today. It's special. And I'm standing in the back thinking, when I get up there next week, everyone's going to think he up and retired. <laughs> but he's on vacation. <laughs> I'm just here for today. <laughs> so rest assured, he'll be back. So let's get right into it. Last week, we studied 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And we saw positive, encouraging words for different groups of people, for little children, for, or dear children, dear children, fathers, and young men, right? And you can take that literally as age groups. You can take it as, uh, you know, your, your age as a believer, whether you're a new believer or someone growing in your faith, that would be a young man, or someone who's a mature believer, that'd be the fathers, you know, and it applies to women as well. Uh, so three different age, age groups or believer groups kind of uh, addressed there, but one thing they all, and they, different things said to each of them by John, but one thing they all had in common was that it was, it was encouragement. It was encouragement to keep following Jesus, to, to, to hang on to what they already had, had learned and knew that they knew the Father, you know, and to, and to keep growing no matter which age group you're in. So that's encouragement for all of us too, no matter where you are in your faith, keep growing in Him, keep walking with Him. You know, so that was last week. Two weeks ago, so it can help if I turn it on. Two weeks ago, yeah, I'm going to go all the way back. Two weeks ago, we did First John, the verses before that that I don't have written down. Seven to seven to eleven, and God, and John gave him give them an old commandment and a new commandment. I'm, giving you, I'm not giving you a new commandment. I'm giving you an old commandment. Then he said, I am giving you a new commandment. It was kind of a, a new way of saying something they already knew. We need to love our brothers, right? Also applies to sisters. So we need to love our brothers and sisters, our, our fellow believers, right? And that's what we learned two weeks ago. John talked about that. If, if you don't love your brother, if you hate your brother, then you're not in the light. You're in the darkness. You're blinded. John talked about that. But if we love our brother, we're in the light. And, you know, we talk about love, you know, and so that was, that was addressing how we love each other, uh, other members of our, of our Christian family, right? And we look at love throughout the Bible, and we see that, you know, we're told to love our neighbor as ourself in multiple places. It first shows up in Leviticus, and then it comes in in, uh, whoa, what? Yep, we're done. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Who do we have to love? Leviticus 19.18, Matthew 22.39, and Mark 12.31 all say love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so we've got to love our brothers. We've got to love our neighbors. And Jesus even told us that we have to love our enemies. Matthew 5.44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that's an greater, even greater challenge. It's kind of escalating. It's easiest to love our brothers it's a little harder to love our neighbors. It's really hard to love our enemies, but we're supposed to love all of them. And so really we see that everyone's covered in people that we're supposed to love, right? Brothers, neighbors, enemies. I can't really think of anybody else. 
So today, what we're going to talk about, this is going somewhere, not just a recap. We're going to talk about what God tells us not to love. We're called to love everyone, but there's something that God tells us not to love. And Warren Wiersbe, when I was reading his commentary, he had this, this title on this section called The Love God Hates. And what we're talking about, as you might guess from the graphic there, or if you've looked ahead in your Bible at all, is we're called not to love the world. So let's read it together. Why don't we all turn to John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Ooh, and I'm already there, but I'll let you guys turn there if you're not. First John chapter 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Okay. So John, you know... As we've seen throughout the Gospel of John and here in 1 John, I think we've talked about it before, John's the master of comparing opposites, of juxtaposition, you could call it. He puts the things that are opposite to each other and he, and he holds them up to see the difference. You know? So we have light and darkness, love and hate, uh, truth and lies, right? And so now we have do and don't. You know, we, we talked, like I said, two weeks ago, we talked about who we are supposed to love. Do love your brothers. And then we had that encouraging section last week, and now that was kind of sandwiched in the middle, and now we have don't love the world. Do love your brothers. Don't love the world. You know, it kind of reminds me of this uh, kid's book, a little board book that I read with my, my kids called No, No, Yes, Yes. And in that book, there's this little baby, and each, page, each pair of pages is something that's no, no, and something that's yes, yes. No, no, pick your nose. Yes, yes, blow your nose. You know? No, no, eat dog food. Yes, yes. Eat a banana next to the dog. You know? <laughs> like, it's pretty funny. And it's uh, very instructive to a young child. You know? Don't do that. Do, do this. So, yes, yes, love your brother. No, no, love the world. That's what we've got here from John. I think John would have liked that book. No, no, love the world. Now, that could be kind of confusing, right? Aren't the people that we just talked about, all people, aren't they the world, right? That's, that could come to mind. Aren't, the, aren't, aren't everyone out there in the world the people we're supposed to love? Aren't, they, aren't we commanded to love all people like we just talked about? We, we covered the different groups, you know, uh, brothers, neighbors, enemies. So if we're not to love the world, what are we talking about? It didn't say don't love the people in the world. It says don't love the world. And that can be hard to differentiate, can't it? Because there are definitely people in the world who are very actively making the world the place that it is, right? There are people that on the news, in the media, everywhere we look, people who are actively in your face making the world the way it is. And so it can be hard to differentiate between the world and the people in the world sometimes. Just, just like, you know, when we talk about the, the, the saying, you know, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin, right? 
Some people make that sin such a part of their identity that it's hard to differentiate them from their sin, right? When they're just like so in your, fi- in your face about, this is me, this is what I'm like, and you're going to have to deal with it, you know? Various sins. So it can be hard to split up the sinner and the sin. It can be hard to look at that person the way God sees them as, as a creation of his, someone he made and he loves. And that's how we're supposed to look at them. But when they're like so in your face about their sin, we kind of identify them like they want to be identified with their sin. You know, we kind of make them out to be the sin. And we kind of make the people who, who we see making the world the way that it is, we see them as the world, as, as our enemy, right? But there is a difference. It's not the people. The people aren't what we're supposed to not love. It's the world. So what, is, what are we talking about then? Well, it's not the physical earth that God created. No. Not this planet that we live on, even though I had a planet on my, one of my slides there. It's not the planet that we're not supposed to love. You know, we see numerous examples throughout Psalms, especially of the writer's uh, looking around at the beauty in nature and all of creation that God has made and being drawn to a deeper love and appreciation of God by it. You know, uh, here I have up here, it comes to mind, Psalm 8, 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You could say, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that David loved looking at the stars. Right When you read that. So David loved to look around at creation. And we can really appreciate creation. I know a lot of people here are hikers and people who like to go out in nature. I know I certainly do. That's not wrong. God made those things. We're not supposed to worship creation. And that was a real problem uh, back then and sometimes still today. People worship created things. We're not supposed to worship it. Well, we can love and appreciate what God has made and, and created really for our enjoyment. You know, just uh, how beautiful the things he made are. Okay, so it's, it's not the people of the world because John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What That said the world too, didn't it? God loved the world but we're not supposed to love the world. I think the confusion comes from different usage of the word world, right? You know, that world in John 3.16 that we all know so well, that world is humanity. That's the people of the world that we are commanded to love. This planet we live on is a world. That's the world that the psalmist looked around at all the wonderful things in, you know, the the clouds and the snow and the animals and the the flowers of the field and all the different things that they, they spoke about in the psalms that God created that just point to our creator. That's that's the physical world. The world that we're talking about today, the world that we're not supposed to love. Warren Wearsby defined it as an invisible spiritual system opposed to God and Christ. And he went on to say, it's Satan's system for opposing the work of Christ on earth, and he uses unsaved people for evil purposes. So people can be used by this system, used by the enemy, but they're not the real root of the problem. The problem is Satan and this system. You know, he's considered, you know, listed as the, the prince of this world, right? And that world is this system. And so I know how it can get confusing when we have so many definitions of the word world. Uh, But you think about it, when you watch the news, anybody who still does, I I try to avoid it. You you know, a a local news broadcast maybe, you won't see it like on the big channels, but like 
and now in the world of sports, right? Or big news in the finance world today. You know, those are not different planets. The world of sports is not like part of the solar system, and neither is the world of finance, right? Those are systems, you know, the, and so they could just as easily say, now in the system of sports, we have something to tell you about. Now in the system of finance, we're going to tell you about this. Now, this, what we're talking about today, you could say, now in the world of sin. That's, that's what it is. And honestly, when you watch the news, you know, 90% of the things that they're talking about, you could lead with that. Now in the world of sin, someone killed someone else, someone hurt someone else, someone mistreated someone else, someone lied, someone, some scandal. Now in the world of sin, which is what we mostly cover here on the news, what's next? So, it's not the physical world, it's not the people of the world, it's this world system, this sinful world system, the world of sin. Now in John... Chapter 17, the Gospel of John, verses 14 to 18, Jesus prayed for his disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world." So Chris just prayed that for our youth group kids, that they would be in the world, not of the world. We say that all the time, and this is where we get it from. In the world, not of the world. We need to maintain a separation. It's all around us. You know, you know we're, we're here in, in, the, in the world of church right now, right? In the world of our church family. But out there is the whole world of sin all around us. And we need God to sanctify us. You know, that's, that's how we maintain that separation, by his word, by his truth. We should pray this prayer for ourselves that Jesus prayed for his disciples, prayed for us, really. We need God to sanctify us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And this world around us wants to sell us a giant, like, bulk-sized package of lies. A huge pack of lies. Go to BJ's and get a shopping cart full of lies. You know... Like those variety packs of chips, you know, you get little variety packs of lies, 48 different flavors. You know, lies about what's the truth, lies about who we are and what we should be and what we should do and what we should be okay with and, and different things like that. There's so many different kinds of lies. I can't even get into all of them. But that's what the world is trying to sell us is a big bulk package of lies. And so how do we fight that? We fight it with the truth. Sanctify them by your truth, by your word. Your word is truth. That's what Jesus said. Now, Paul in Romans 12, 2, he said, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How? How will we transform our minds? By spending time in God's word and in prayer. You know, I, I don't come up here every time I speak, and I don't think Pastor Rich does either, trying to find a way to like shoehorn into the message, read your Bibles, right? It just comes naturally because it's woven so much throughout all of Scripture that we should be in His word. It's so important to us. It's not, a, not just a chore. That's not how we should view it. It's something that God wants us to do for our own good. We need it. Desperately, if we're ever going to do anything that he's calling us to do, 
For our own good, we need to spend time in His Word. We need to be sanctified by the truth if we're going to exist in this wide world of lies and sin that we live in and try and stay clean. God's Word and prayer. That's how we transform our minds, renew our minds. Warren Wearsby said about this world that we live in that we're not unlike a scuba diver. This is not our habitat, right? A scuba diver needs his, and here's what scuba stands for, for so I know some of you already know, Larry, Mark, you know, some of you already know this, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. That's what scuba stands for. So a self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. If you, if you don't have that and you're sitting at the bottom of the ocean, you're in trouble, right? And if we're trying to live in this foreign habitat that we live in here on the earth without the proper equipment, then we're going to be in trouble too. Special equipment we need is God's word, prayer, fellowship, the Holy Spirit living within us. We need those things in order to exist in this world and not become like it, not become fish food at the bottom of the sea. You know, spending, if we neglect spending time with God alone, you know, in prayer and his word, then we're like a diver who's letting his tank run on empty. You know, uh, I, I've gone scuba diving. I, I took all the classes when I was younger and I went diving out with my, my dad quite a few times when I was a teenager. I haven't gone in a long time. And I, I really did enjoy it very much. And even in these like murky, freezing waters of New England, which is all we ever went to, there's so much to see down there that really is quite beautiful, Right. But I never, ever thought that this was my home at the bottom of the sea. I didn't, I didn't have any confusion that I belonged there or that I was part of this ecosystem, except, you know, when I thought I saw a shark over there. You know, but I, it wasn't a shark. It was a striper, but a, a big one. But I said it was murky, right? So I didn't have any confusion about that. I didn't, I didn't have this idea that maybe I could stay down here forever. Maybe I could stay down here a little longer. Maybe, maybe I'll be okay without my air. Maybe I never have to go back to the top. The world is a little more subtle than that, this world that we live in. It, it, try, it tries to fool us, and successfully so, I'm afraid to say, quite frequently, that we can kind of have one foot in that and one foot in God's world and, and kind of maintain that separation somehow. Or we can do things in the world and still be long to God, you know, and, and, and stay separated from it. You know, it's, it's, it tells us this lie that, oh, no, you're, you'll be okay if you only go this far, you know. You'll be okay if you only watch this thing, but don't watch that thing, you know. Like, the world has got some very uh, well-developed tactics for getting a hold of us. You know, it's not, uh, it's not like, you know, in that, in that way, it's not like scuba diving, because when you run out of air, you know it when you're scuba diving. By the time you run out of air, in this sense, it's too late. You're already, you're already part of this world that we live in. So, second half of verses 15 tells us, if anyone loves the world, now that we've defined what we're talking about, the sinful world that we live in, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so black and white matter for John, right? Either you love the world or you love the Father. You can't love both. That's what he's telling us. That's what it should be for us. It should be a black and white matter. 
We can't love God and love the world at the same time. David Guzik said about this, Simply, love for the world is incompatible with love for the Father. Therefore, if one claims to love God and yet loves the world, there is something wrong with his claim to love God. Any love that we have for this sinful world will invariably interfere with our ability to properly love and serve God. It'll get in the way. It'll, you, you, can't have, you can't have one and the other. You can't do both at the same time. We're, we're not, not, not really capable of it. It's, we're not good at multitasking our love in that way, in this sense. We, you know, we can love multiple people at the same time, but we can't love opposite things, God and the world. They're mutually exclusive, really. And like, that's one of the lies that the world will try and tell us, is that we can, we can do all this stuff over here, and we can go to church over here, and those two things, we can do both, right? I don't want to go that far into the church stuff. I'm going to stay over here in the world stuff, and that's okay, right? No, it's not okay, and that's what John's telling us here. We can't love God and the world at the same time, and it's not just because God is a jealous God, which He is, in a way that only God could be. Only God could be jealous in a righteous way where he's completely right to be jealous. When we're jealous, there's a sin behind it. But when God is jealous, it's completely righteous. He's the one who deserves our worship and love. So it's not just because of that, but also because, like I said, we're just completely incapable of loving both at the same time the way we should, the way we should love God. If we have this other love, it's going to take away from our love for God. Now, we see this in the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus, and he had kept all of God's commandments since he was a child. He came to Jesus earnestly seeking to know what he needed to do to have everlasting life. Here's a man who wanted to follow God, right? And what did Jesus tell him? Sell everything you have and follow me. You're close. You're very close. But sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy walked away sad because his stuff... The things that he had, his possessions, he loved those things. And he was trying to love those things and love God at the same time. And he couldn't do it. He walked away sad. I really, you know, I I think when I think about that, you know, I'd really like to believe that guy came back later. He really did go and sell all of his stuff, you know. We don't know. We don't know if he did or didn't. But it's heartbreaking if that's what turned him away. You know, just stuff, you know, like. But it happens to us too. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, talking about possessions, wealth. You know, some translations say mammon, which is a word for wealth, like personified. You know, you can't serve God and wealth at the same time. But I don't think Jesus meant just wealth. You can't serve God in something else at all. You can't have two masters. It's incompatible with our love for God. So, drawing us into this world, this sinful world where we love things and, and other, other stuff going on and you know that there's something else for us that, that's important to us, It's an effective tool of the enemy to take us away from our love for God. It furthers his work to oppose God and everything God is doing here in the world for as long as he can. Because he can't do it forever, right? Satan only has so long to oppose God. 
And so he's trying to make the most of his time opposing God and do as much damage as he can to people because he knows that he's never going to defeat God, right? But what he can do is hurt people, and God loves people. So in that way, he can hurt God in that sense. So he's going to do as much damage as he can, and this is a very effective tool, the system that he has built in this world to distract us and take us away from God. So here are the tactics in the next verse that Satan uses. Sorry, wrong verse. You can go back to the original. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Pastor Chuck Smith said, When Satan comes to tempt, you can be sure that the temptation will fall in one of three categories, either in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or in the pride of life. That's the, uh, another translation of this same verse. And the New King James, or the, or the regular King James. So the cravings of sinful man, or the lust of the flesh, that's the first one. The Bible has a lot to say about the flesh. And it's not just referring to our physical bodies, right? Our flesh. It's our unregenerate sinful nature that we have before we come to Jesus. And, and that sinful nature that stays with us even after we come to Jesus, fighting against our spiritual nature. That's our flesh. Flesh sounds dirty, doesn't it? The lust of the flesh when you read that translation. And it should sound dirty because it's sinful. Our flesh is always fighting against our spirit. We need to be born again in order to gain spiritual life. And so then we have that, that new nature, the new nature that God has given to us. We're a new creation. But our old self is trying to get back in control all the time. That's our flesh. That's our default setting that we're born with. And we'll go back to it if we're not careful without God's help and His grace. What do we, so here are some verses about the flesh. Galatians 5.17 For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Romans 8.8 8 says Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There are so many more that I could do. But you know, each one of these tactics of the enemy, I, we could spend a whole Sunday just looking at each of them. We really could. But I'm going to try and cover all three of them today, uh, briefly yet in detail. Paul wrote letters to churches where believers... We're trying to live in the midst of sinful societies, right? That's why we see Paul talk so much about this, you know, in Romans and Galatians and uh, Colossians, all of these different churches that he wrote to. It, it invariably came up with all of them because they're all living in, sin, in the middle of sinful societies in, in this world system that Satan had already built back then. Does it sound familiar? We live in the middle of a sinful society just like they do. And so we have the same things to be on guard for. Anything that appeals to our sin nature, our default setting that we naturally go back to, falls under this lust of the flesh or cravings of sinful man. And, you know, it takes many different forms. I mean, the, the thing that people think of when they think of lust, the thing they most associate with lust 
is sexual immorality, right? Sexual temptation. But the lust of the flesh doesn't just apply to that. It applies to other things that maybe we don't think are bad enough to qualify as the lust of the flesh, but they are. You know, anything that we have that's a worldly pleasure that, uh, you know, maybe we have a desire to overindulge ourselves in selfish things, fancy food, you know, uh, temptation to be lazy and slothful instead of working hard and doing what is good. You know, if I, if I wanted to take a nap instead of help somebody out with something, something they needed help with, or if I, if I wanted to, you know, take a day off and get some me time instead of uh, spending time in my Bible and praying, you know, that happens. We get this bad attitude about how, what we deserve. That's, that's the flesh telling us that we deserve these things. So, it's not just uh, you know, sexual immorality. It's just so many different things that uh, our natural self craves and wants. You know, Me, me, me. There's a million angles the flesh will take to work against us, so we need to watch out for all of them. We all have firsthand experience with the fact that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? We've all been through that. We want to do the right thing. Our flesh does not. Paul talked about it extensively, you know. I don't do the things that I want to do. I, the things I don't want to do, I do do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. Lust of the flesh, that's what leads to it. The second worldly thing John talks about is the lust of the eyes. Now, is that, is that kind of the same? Kind of. You know, our eyes are part of our flesh. The lust of the eyes lead to the lust of the flesh. You know, they, they kind of go hand in hand. They work together. But when you have the lust of the eyes, it's when you see something and you want it. You know, again, first things first, sexual lust. You know, we see something attractive, someone attractive, we want it. You know, lust. That's the thing we first think of. And I think the reason that comes first is because we live in a society that is just so chock full of, you know, sexual messaging and and uh, media and advertisement and everything, you know, it's kind of always, always around us all the time. But it's not just that. It's just material things that we covet when we see something that we want it. When we, even, even things that we want to be and to see in ourselves, you know, when we want to look more like someone else. You know, we see someone else and we want to look like them. You know, I'm, I'm going to confess something here. I, I do some light weightlifting a few times a week now. I've been doing it for a little while. And, you know, I tell myself I'm doing it to be healthier. I'm doing it so I can pick up heavy things. But in the back of my mind, I want arms like Thor, you know. And you don't need to tell me I'm not going to get there. <laughs> I'm not close. <laughs> but I want arms like Thor. I saw that guy's arms in the movie, and they're so ripped, you know. The lust of the eyes doesn't necessarily have to apply to like something, somebody else you want. It could be something you want to be, something you want to look like. You want a shirt like that guy has. That's such a nice shirt. You know, you want the girls, you want a dress like that girl has. That's a beautiful dress. You know, I, I think everybody's heard like the, the, the girls who have curly hair always want straight hair and the girls with straight hair always want curly hair, Right. And if that hold, held true for my two daughters, then they're going to be jealous of each other for life. I've got one of each. I'm going to try and encourage them to see that the hair that God gave them is beautiful and it's the right one for them. 
you know, and, and if not, you had a curling iron, you know. <laughs> don't, don't get so hung up on it that you're jealous for the rest of your life. <laughs> the world is very good at going after our eyes. TV, our phones, these little computers that we carry around in our pockets, just beaming stuff into our lives all the time if we let it. You know, I, I get these... You know, you pull up, you pull up the, the Google browser, right? And it's got articles we think you might like. You know, and I, I started looking at them. They're, oh, maybe I will like that article. And usually it's garbage. You know, not, not necessarily something terribly wrong, but something terribly useless, terrible waste of time, terrible uh, message, you know, that's just completely worldly. You know, an article I might like. And after I get done spending the three to five minutes on it that I spent, I, I just feel like, what did I just flush away that time for? Why did I even click on that? To say nothing of like the actually like really immoral things that you, know, you can get into on TV or, or your phone or whatever. You know, the, the world is trying to get a hold of our eyes because if we get it's a hold of our eyes, then it takes our eyes off Jesus. You know, if, if you're feeling convicted right now, I'm with you and believe me, I've been looking at these verses for like three days straight. So talk about conviction. Yeah, you know, like getting ready for this lesson, you know, it causes you to really re-examine like all the stuff that you're doing, all the ways that you're thinking about things. And I think that's healthy. We should take that time to re-examine what we're spending our time on, what we're giving our attention to, what we're looking at. Make changes if you need to. There's a trash can back there. So I want to see everybody dump their phone in there afterward. No. <laughs> but we need our blue letter Bible, right? <laughs> you don't have to dump your phone. But maybe think about how you use your phone or how much you use your phone. I know I really need to be more conscious of that. It's, such, it's become such a like all the time. I, it happens without me even thinking about it. I pull it out to like check nonsense as like a way of wasting time, a, a nervous tick or whatever. Maybe people, people used to twiddle their thumbs, now they pull out their phones, you know, like. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's twiddling your thumbs? <laughs> Viv? <laughs> Young people, you're like, what's twiddling your thumbs? What is that? Way of wasting time. <laughs> we can be very distracted by the things of this world. Uh, the things that our flesh wants, the things that our eyes want to look at. And the last thing, it ties in with the other two, pride. Pride. Because, oh, I forgot to even tell you my be one of my best examples. I mean, I could come up with examples all day about ways that I, you know, mess this up. But, you know, who else, everybody else like to go for a walk around their neighborhood? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody else, like, am I the only one who, like, obsessively looks at other people's lawns and is like... Man, why is that guy's lawn so much greener than mine? My slides are off again, guys. Thank you. Why is that guy's lawn so much greener than mine? I've been doing all the right stuff. I used the four steps. Why is it so much greener? The grass is always greener. <laughs> you know, you, you see someone else's lawn, you want that lawn. You know, and, and I really, like, it's not just the greenness of the grass. It's like the setup of the yard. And I've got this... Some of you might have it as well, I don't know, but I've got this sidewalk that runs right through 
my yard. It goes yard, sidewalk, more yard, like a little strip of grass at the end that never looks very good because it's kind of isolated there in that little strip. So I see the people who don't have that stupid sidewalk, and I'm like, man, maybe I can get the city to rip up that sidewalk. It's already crumbling, right? (laughs) And then I could have a yard like that guy has, one continuous sheet of green. That'd be beautiful. It's stupid. (laughs) It's it's really ridiculous thinking, you know, and, and and I need to stop it because God gave me this house with this silly sidewalk in the middle of it, you know, and... And I can just, I just need to forget about it. You know, it's, it's there and it's not going anywhere. And it's, it's, it's the city's, right? <laughs> you know, like it's not mine. And this isn't my real home. This is somewhere that I'm staying temporarily. You know, we're, our home is in heaven. We sang about that. We're going home to heaven. And uh, this, so I need to stop thinking like that and worry about things that matter. You know, so that brings me back to pride. Pride what if I actually somehow managed to get the city to tear up the sidewalk and I planted some nice new grass there and my, my lawn looked like that guy around the corner's lawn without the sidewalk? Then I would be very proud of my lawn, wouldn't I? I'd have a lot of pride about it. If I actually got my arms to look like Thor's, I'd be so proud of myself. Pride. We get the things that we covet and want and then we're proud of them or we're proud of the things that we already have. You know, the other thing I do when I walk around the neighborhood is I say, well, my lawn has that stupid sidewalk in it, but at least it doesn't look like that guy's lawn. (laughs) It's true. We can get so proud of so many silly things. How about at our workplaces? Colossians 3.23 tells us, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord, not men. So we're called to work hard and do a good job at our workplaces, right? But if we twist that, we can get proud of how much better of a job we're doing than everyone else. Because we actually, if we're actually doing what God says we're supposed to do and working like that, we'll stand out amongst our coworkers as well we should. We should be an example. We should be a light in our workplace. But what if we get so proud that we're such a light that we just look down on everyone else? You know, that's, that's not right either. How about being a good parent? Being a good parent, spending time with your kids, doing things with your kids, doing things for your kids, making sure that they uh, know the truth, that that you raise them right, that you discipline them properly. Being a good parent, that's a good thing. Being a good parent and looking down on how other people parent, that's a bad thing. You know, we can get proud about good things. We can get proud about how spiritual we are, right? That's so spiritual, to be proud of our spirituality. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. You can even, you can, you know, you can do the humble brag too, you know, like, oh, I'm not really that good at this, you know, but you really are, you know, and you're waiting for someone to say, yeah, you are, you know. You could say, like I was just talking about, my, my yard isn't as nice as that guy's, but at least it's not as nice, as, not as bad as that guy's. We can, we can do that. We think too much about ourselves and we just are, are full of pride. You think of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. He prayed loudly. I thank God that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Meanwhile, the tax collector, he knew full well that he was a sinner and he beat his breast 
And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that one, that man who understood his sinfulness, he walked away justified before God. Back then, you needed to like do what the Pharisee did. Put on your fancy robes, walk around town, praying loudly about how great you are. Make sure you get the good seat at the banquet where everybody knows that you're the best. That's what you needed to do to really uh, indulge in self-aggrandizement, right? Now you just craft that perfect Facebook post. And everybody can see how great you are. (laughs) We've got new avenues for pride. But pride isn't anything new. Pride, even, you know, these three things that we're talking about today, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride, they all led to the fall of man. Those three things are what Satan used on Eve in the garden. You know, that food looks good. That food's going to taste good. And that food's going to make you so wise. That apple, the fruit, you know, that's going to that's gonna really make you, make you like God. You know, that, so the pride came in. All of these things are the ways that Satan has been attacking man since the beginning. So we need to examine ourselves, and are we falling into these things? Now the last verse, you know, I'm running out of time here, but I do want to finish our last verse here. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Like I said, this world is only temporary. The planet, our bodies, it's all going to pass away. We need to remind ourselves of that all the time. Our home is in heaven, not in this world. Not in this system, certainly. We might be, we might be scuba divers in the, at the murky bottom right now, but there's going to come a time when God calls us up to the surface and we're back in the light again where we belong. This isn't about earning eternal life through works, you know, as, as you could try and say, you know, the man who does the will of God lives forever. That's not what John is trying to say, that we earn eternal life through works, but that if we, if we are God's and we are his, this is what we should be doing. We should be doing the will of God. And then we'll live forever because we're his, not because we did something, but because he has done something already in us. We don't want, at the end of our lives, to be like one escaping through the flames, right? Where everything that we've spent our time and effort on in this world burns up because it's worthless. We want to have things that we've stored up as treasure in heaven that we did for God, right? Things that'll last. You know, we don't, we don't want to come before God and, you know, we're all going to stand before him and we don't want to have... You know, nothing but useless efforts of, of worldliness to show for our lives. We're all, we're all going to have things to answer for, right? We're all going to have things that we did wrong, things that God is going to have, have there, that, you know, but, but they're all going to be forgiven by what Jesus did on the cross. You know, he paid for those sins. But do, do we want to have something to lay before him, you know, a crown to lay before him, what we, what we did for him while we were in this life? Do we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? If we want to hear that, then we need to focus more on, less on the world and more on him. But when we fail, when we get worldly, when we do worldly things, he is always there to cleanse us of our worldliness. You know, just like Jesus said when he was washing his disciples' feet. You know, if you've already had a bath, then you don't need a bath, but he's going to wash his feet. You know, wash our feet, the things of this world, this sinfulness that we kind of get wrapped up in on a daily basis. 
No, that's, that's where we need that cleansing with God. He doesn't leave us on our own. He's there to help us when we ask him to help us, to, to escape from this worldliness, to, to do what's right and what, what's going to last forever. Let's close in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, the world can be very enticing and very distracting. And it's working very hard to steal us away and steal our time and attention and our efforts. But this world doesn't hold a candle to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Him. That's how we, that's how we fight against the world. We keep our eyes fixed on Him. We keep following Him. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you so much for your word, for how it uh, teaches us, instructs us, corrects us, and rebukes us, trains us. We just pray, Lord, that you'd forgive us for anything that, that we've allowed to creep into our lives that isn't of you, that's of this world, this system the enemy has set up to, to steal us away, to distract us and take us from you. We want, Lord, for our lives to reflect our love of you, not a love of the world. And so we do just pray that you would help us, strengthen us, guide and direct us, and uh, help us to even examine ourselves and our lives and make choices to uh, follow you better. We just thank you for the grace and mercy that we have in you, Lord, for what you did for us on the cross. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who has never come to you, and been born again and received a new nature, Lord. I pray that for anyone listening as well, that today they would turn to you and, and receive that. Be freed from this world. Maybe you're, you're hearing this and you're tired of being part of this world. And if that's you, I just pray, pray, with, pray with me right now. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've been wrapped up in a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. And I pray, Lord, that you would save me from my sins. I thank you for what you've done for me. I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sins. And I want to follow you from now on. It's that simple. So for the rest of us who have been following you for a while, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to adjust whatever we need to adjust and help us to go from here just more determined to follow you better. And we just thank you so much for our time together here, Lord, and we thank you for your word, and we just thank you for always being with us and, and what you're doing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.